Chapter Ten of Half Past Bedtime by H. H. Bashford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten. Old Mother Hubbard. Cuthbert was very sorry when he heard about the fire at Doris's house, and when he next saw her in the street, he almost crossed the road to speak to her. But she hadn't spoken to him for so long that he had resolved not to talk to her unless she spoke to him first. Doris and Jimmy and Jocko were now staying with some people called Brown, and Doris's mother and the twins and Christopher Mark were staying with Gwendolen's aunt and Captain Jeremy. It was rather fun staying with the Browns, but on the whole Doris was rather sad because it would be two months, so the builder said, before they could all be at home together again. Cuthbert knew about this because Marion had told him, and that was why he nearly crossed the road. But he decided not to, and he didn't see Doris again until the second day of the holidays. That was the Thursday before Christmas, and it was a gray day and very cold, with a strong wind blowing out of the northeast, and all the houses looked huddled and shrunken. It was early in the afternoon, and he had just been to call for Edward, but Edward had gone out to sit by the railway. He was collecting the numbers on engines, and had already got thirty-seven. Cuthbert was collecting, too, but he was collecting the dates on pennies, so he didn't feel inclined to go and sit with Edward, and it was just as he was wondering what to do that he saw Doris turn the corner. For a moment he thought that he would pretend not to see her. But she was all alone, and it suddenly occurred to him that it would be rather a good idea to take her out to tea at Uncle Joe's. So he stopped and asked her, and she was very glad, because she had nothing particular to do, and she told him all about St. Uncus and the fire, and what it was like being nearly burnt to death. Let's cut across the fields, she said, past old Mother Hubbard's. It's jolly cold. I think it's going to snow. I hope it is, said Cuthbert but it's not so cold as the day on which we found the icemen. But it was quite cold enough, with the horses in the fields standing dismally under the naked hedges, and the black northeaster crumbling the ridges of the plough-lands until they looked like pale-colored powdered chocolate. "'I shall be jolly glad,' said Cuthbert, "'when we get to Uncle Joe's.' And just then they passed Mother Hubbard's a melancholy house standing by itself, with all its blinds and curtains drawn. It was always like that, and behind it were some ruined stables with a tin roof that flapped up and down, and a big yellow dog on a long chain ran out and yelped at them as they passed. This was called Mother Hubbard's house, because it belonged to a Miss Hubbard who lived there all by herself and who had allowed nobody to enter the door since her father had died fifty years ago. He had been a proud old general with a bad temper, and some people said that he had driven Miss Hubbard mad, but other people said that she was only queer and hated everybody except her dog. Occasionally she could be seen peering round one of the blinds, or feeding her dog in the ruined stables, and once a week she went into the town with a big bag to do her shopping. The shop people said that she was very polite, and so did the postman, who sometimes took her a letter, but she always kept her own counsel, and nobody could ever make her talk. Why she lived like that nobody knew. 
Some people said that it was because she was so poor, and because her father had made her promise never to let people know how poor she was. But other people said that she was really rather rich, and that she must have had some great trouble. She was very old, nearly eighty, although her eyes were clear and so were her cheeks, but there were still a few people who remembered her as a girl galloping on horseback over the fields. "'Silly old thing,' said Doris as they left her house behind them. "'I shouldn't be surprised if she was a witch.' But Cuthbert said that there weren't any such things, and perhaps she had killed somebody and had a guilty conscience. Then they crossed a road and climbed over a stile, and skirted a great field pricked with tiny wheat blades, and then they slipped down a rather steep bank into a sheltered lane still wet with mud. They had already forgotten old Mother Hubbard, and the next moment they forgot her still bore, for just then came clattering down the lane a young man on horseback splashed to his eyes. His bowler hat was crammed down on his head, and he shouted at them as he galloped by, "'Which way have they gone?' he cried. But he never stopped for an answer, and soon there came some more riders, both men and women. They had evidently come down the lane to avoid a big ploughed field that lay between the high hedges on the other side of it, for Cuthbert and Doris presently saw them turn sharply to the right into a grass meadow where it was easier to gallop. "'It's the hunt,' said Doris. "'Let's run after them.' So they turned and ran down the lane, and saw the riders, one by one, jumping over a gate on the far side of the meadow. Then they crossed the meadow, and scrambled over the gate just in time to see the last of the horsemen disappearing over another hedge a couple of hundred yards away. "'We shall never catch them,' said Cuthbert. But just then they heard a horn blowing. "'It's the fox!' cried Doris. "'They've seen the fox!' And half a minute later, from a little rise in the ground, they saw the whole hunt streaming away from them. They were so hot now that they had forgotten all about the wind and the great clouds gathering over the downs, and their only thought was to be up among the horses and their jolly red-cheeked riders. So they ran down the rise and across another road, and over some more fields and past a wood, until they came at last to a stream, running rather sluggishly between some pollarded willows. On one of these there was a man standing, and he waved his hand to them as they came up. "'They're coming back,' he said. "'Keep along the stream, and I'll lay a dollar you'll see some fun.' It was now nearly four, and the light was beginning to fade, and they were ever so far from Uncle Joe's. But they pushed their way through the tangled grass until they came to a plank across the stream. This led them out beside a hazel copse, and just as they were wondering which way to go, they heard the horn again, not very far away, and the clear, deep calling of the hounds. Something cold fell on Cuthbert's cheek. Hello, he said, it's beginning to snow. And then a burly man on a big gray mare came crashing through the undergrowth on the other side of the stream. He gave a shout, and they jumped aside as his horse rose to clear the water, but the next moment he was sprawling on the ground in front of them, with his scarlet coat about his ears. They heard him swear, but as he picked himself up and helped his horse out of the stream he began to laugh, and soon he was in the saddle again and vanishing into the dusk. For a minute or two they waited, but nobody else came. An old cock pheasant rattled out of the hazel copse. The horn blew once more, 
and then all was still. Their breath stood like smoke upon the air. Then Doris suddenly stooped and picked up a coin that had been half trampled into the bank. Hello, she said. He's dropped a penny. You'd better add the date of it to your collection. Cuthbert took it from her, but the penny was an old one and the date was difficult to see. The snow began to fall upon them in heavy flakes. Cuthbert took out his handkerchief and polished the coin. And then an odd thing happened, for suddenly, as he polished, the stream and the hazel copse seemed to fade away, and it was another girl, a grown-up girl, who had just given him the penny. A penny for your thoughts, she said, and Cuthbert knew that she wasn't speaking to him, but to somebody else, and the thoughts that came into his head weren't his own, but a grown-up man's. He knew that they were somebody else's thoughts, because he was thinking his own thoughts, too, and the other person's thoughts were of two kinds, the weak thoughts that he decided to tell the girl, and the strong thoughts that went into the penny. The thoughts that he told the girl were that, when he got to South America, he was going to spend his spare time studying the birds there. He was going to write a book about them, and perhaps, when he had written his book, he would get a job looking after a museum. But his strong thoughts that he didn't tell her were, I love you and want to marry you, but I mustn't tell you that, because I'm only a carpenter and you're a lady ever so far above me. What's the matter? said Doris. Cuthbert gave her the penny. It's a queer sort of penny, he said. Catch hold of it. Doris took it. I don't see anything queer in it, she said. So Cuthbert polished it once more. This time he polished it harder so that when he gave it to Doris again it was quite warm from the polishing, and Doris seemed to be standing in a strange sort of room, full of old-fashioned furniture and heavy ornaments. The same girl said, A penny for your thoughts, and the same thoughts came to her as had come to Cuthbert. The day drew in, it was almost dark now, and the snow was glistening on their shoulders. I know what's happened, she said. His real thoughts were so strong that they all went into the penny. Cuthbert nodded. That's what I thought, he said. And when you rub the penny, they all come out. Did you notice the girl's dress, asked Doris, and the way her hair was done and the blue china dog on the mantelpiece? Cuthbert shook his head. Uh, let's have another go, he said, and he rubbed the penny again as hard as he could. This time he noticed the room, with its queer high-backed piano, and a picture of people hunting hanging on the wall, and the blue china dog and the girl's dress, and the curious way in which she had done her hair. It was pulled back from her forehead into a smooth sort of bundle behind her head, and her dress was all in terraces, like a wedding cake, or a theater turned upside down. It must have been a good long time, said Cuthbert, since she gave him the penny. Do you think he was the man who fell off the horse? Oh, he couldn't have been, said Doris. He was much too young, and besides, I'm sure that he was never a carpenter. She shivered a little. We ought to be getting home, she said. But Cuthbert lingered for a moment, looking at the penny. I expect hundreds of people, he said, have had it in their pockets and never known what was inside it. I dare say, said Doris, but I know I'm jolly hungry, and we must be miles away from anywhere. Nor were they quite sure where anywhere was. But they crossed the plank again and started for home, with the snow driving past their ears and piling up in front of their feet. 
gray-capped hedges loomed up before them, rising unexpectedly out of the darkness, and so thick lay the snow that they were never able to tell whether the next field was a ploughed one. But they passed the tree, or they thought that they did, on which the man had been standing, and they crossed the road, or they thought that they did, that they had crossed after running down the rise. But the hours went by, and they felt emptier and emptier, and several times they stumbled into snow-filled ditches, and the snow roared past them in angry whiteness, and melted upon their necks, and trickled down their backs. Longingly they thought then of Uncle Joe's, and of plates of hot muffins before the fire, and even more longingly of supper at home, with bowls of steaming bread and milk. But every field seemed endlesser than the last, and the snow grew deeper and ever more deep, and the night closed down upon them like a lid, and their feet felt heavier than ten-pound weights. "'I believe we're lost,' said Cuthbert. But Doris didn't seem to hear, so they toiled on with sinking hearts, and then at last, just as they were almost spent, they suddenly knocked their knees against a little gate. It was a sort of gate that leads into a garden path, and though they could see no sign of this, or even of a light, they pushed it open with a great effort, and went plunging into the snow beyond. Sometimes people have been frozen close to a house, but in a little while they saw a great dark shadow, and then, to their joy, they found themselves in front of a door, with a gleam of light shining through the letter-box. For a long time they knocked, but nobody came, and several times they shouted through the letter-box, but still nobody came. And then from behind the house they heard the barking of a dog. Doris gripped Cuthbert's arm. "'It's old Mother Hubbard's,' she said. "'That's her dog. I know it's Bart.' "'Then we'll never get in,' said Cuthbert. But just as he said that they heard footsteps coming down the hall. "'Who's there?' said a voice. It had an odd sort of creak in it, like the creak of a drawer that is seldom opened. Cuthbert told her, and then after a long pause, the door moved a little on its hinges, an eddy of snow whirled in in front of them, and the door swung back an inch or two more. "'You'd better come inside,' said Miss Hubbard, and they went into the hall, her first guests for fifty years. She stood looking at them over a flickering candle. Her eyes were frostier than the wind outside. The air of the house smelt like a tomb. They could hear the ticking of several clocks. "'You'd better come into the scullery,' she said, and shake the snow off. And she led them in silence to the back of the house, where she left them alone for nearly twenty minutes before she came back to ask them in to tea. "'It's in the drawing-room,' she said, and I hope you won't talk. I'm very strong, and I have a big dog.' So they followed her into the drawing-room, and then a second and even more wonderful thing happened. Cuthbert stopped short, and so did Doris, and old Miss Hubbard switched round and stared at them. "'What's the matter?' she asked. "'What are you gaping at?' "'Why, it's the penny-room,' said Cuthbert, and so it was. For there was the queer high-backed piano, and there was the picture of people hunting, and there were the old-fashioned heavy ornaments. "'But where's the dog?' said Doris, the blue china dog that used to stand on the mantelpiece. Old Miss Hubbard had turned quite white. "'The blue china dog?' she asked. "'What do you know about that? It was broken thirty years ago.' "'But it's the same room. 
said Cuthbert, and there was a girl in it, and she gave a man a penny for his thoughts. Old Miss Hubbard began to tremble. She sat down heavily, and her eyes looked frightened. But how do you know? she asked. You're only children, and that was more than fifty years ago. Cuthbert felt in his pocket and pulled out the penny. This is the penny, he said, that the girl gave him. We've just found it, quite by accident, and he didn't tell her all of his thoughts. He told her only some of them. The rest are in here, and we made them come out. He began to polish it again with his handkerchief, and then he gave it to her, and they stood watching her. For about five minutes she sat quite still, and then she looked up, and her voice had changed a little. I'll tell you a story, she said. Will you let me keep it? Cuthbert looked at Doris, and Doris nodded her head. Why, of course, said Cuthbert. We should be very pleased. So while they were having tea she told them that long ago a girl had lived in that house and that she fell in love with a young man who was a carpenter by trade, but he was also a naturalist and especially fond of birds, and he wanted to discover all sorts of things about them, and one day he told the girl that he was just going away to work on a railway in South America. Then he hesitated as if he wanted to tell her something else and she gave him a penny for his thoughts, and then he left the house and was drowned at sea, and the girl never knew whether he had loved her or not. It was very silly of him, said Miss Hubbard, not to have told her, but perhaps the girl was sillier still, for she was so sad that she wasted her whole life, and now it seemed that he loved her after all. Then she went to the window and pulled up the blind. The storm had died down, and it had stopped snowing. Brighter than eyes at a Christmas party, the stars in their thousands shone in the sky. Cuthbert and Doris said that they must be going, and old Miss Hubbard took them to the front door. "'You must come and see me again,' she said. "'Come as often as you like, and perhaps next time you'll bring some of your friends.' "'But she never told us,' said Cuthbert, "'who the girl was.' "'Why, you silly,' said Doris. It was Miss Hubbard herself. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to fetch her poor dog a bone, but this Mother Hubbard in her heart's cupboard lives in the dark alone. Sorrow's gray dust on the chandelier, never a sunray sees, never a finger stirs the blind, nor the harpsichord's yellow keys. Dumb is the clock with the china face, the carpet moles on the floor. Oh, won't you come down to her house with me and open Miss Hubbard's door? End of chapter 10